This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Well, we move to major developments south of the border and what impact they may have on us here. Former Donald Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort, his business associate Rick Gates, and a former junior White House policy advisor named George Papadopoulos have been indicted by a federal grand jury on charges of conspiracy against the United States and other felony charges. The indictments contain 12 counts, including conspiracy to launder money, failing to register as a foreign agent, false statements, and multiple counts of failing to file reports for foreign bank accounts. These are the first uh, charges related to special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian election interference. Manafort and Gates have both turned themselves into the FBI. Not surprisingly, Donald Trump has taken to Twitter, and I quote, Sorry, but this was years before Manafort was part of the Trump campaign. Why aren't crooked Hillary and the Dems the focus? So, um... That's a kind of deflection that uh, Donald Trump is pretty famous for. Does it work for you? And uh, what I want to know, will he also try to deflect uh, with issues that affect us, like those beleaguered NAFTA talks? We want to hear from you. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And right now, we are going to speak with a writer for the Washington Examiner, Siraj Hashmi, and Ashton Arsenault, a consultant at Crestview Strategies. Welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me, Libby. Okay, uh, let's go to Siraj Hashmi First, uh, you know, we've been waiting for this all weekend. What is the reaction now that it is underway? Uh, Well, for one, um, I think of all the people to be named under the indictment uh, by Robert Mueller, uh, Paul Manafort happened to be at the top of the list. So it's not that surprising that Manafort was uh, named in the indictment. I think the other revelations uh, about his, uh, basically his number one associate, Rick Gates, and then George Papadopoulos, also uh, those revelations coming about um, are a bit more surprising. But I, I guess the nature of the indictment is what's more uh, surprising. Um, and, and again, this is not, this is not a, um, admit, you know, this is not, this does not mean that he is guilty. It's just an accusation. Of course, he has to, under, under the law, he's innocent until proven guilty. But if these accusations are true, they're pretty damning, and uh, it shows how shady of a lobbyist Paul Manafort uh, is. And it seems as if that he was using um, his access to Trump to peddle to the Russians, and the fact that I, I think he laundered somewhere, laundered somewhere around eighteen million dollars um, to live lavishly in the United States and not pay any income tax. Um, yeah, that he, if anything, if if it doesn't lead to, you know, a further investigation about trying to take down uh, a higher-up figure, it's definitely just a testament to how 
shady of a, a man a Manafort is. Okay. Um, and Ashton, what do you think? Is uh, is this going to rub off on Trump? Yeah, it's just picking up on what he said. He uh, It goes without saying that these charges are going to have major political ramifications attached to them, uh, even though they're just charges, and we should be clear to stress that at this point in time. Uh, just to pick up on what you said, Libby, President Trump already tweeted about the charges to say there was no collusion at play. Uh, unfortunately for him, he sent out these tweets before it was revealed that one of his former uh, campaign policy advisors had pled guilty to lying to the FBI. So this is going to be problematic for the president. But as it relates to Canada, the charges coming out of the U.S., uh, while salacious for many reasons, if we consider domestic politics, really won't have terrible repercussions here at home, uh, especially as it relates to the ongoing NAFTA negotiation. Okay, uh, I, I want to delve into that question uh, a, a little later on in our conversation. Uh, Siraj, uh, how is this going down in conservative circles? Uh, in conservative circles, it is uh, barely a footnote. Well, I wouldn't say it's barely a footnote. Uh, I have seen coverage of it on Fox News. Um, however, you will see the the whole whataboutism like, that, you know, Trump was trying to deflect, um, focusing on, you know, Fusion GPS and being funded by, you know, the Hillary Clinton campaign and the DNC um, as basically the, the, the whole inspiration for the, the Steele dossier on Trump. Um, you know, they're, they're tr- there's a back and forth about uh, who colluded with the Russians, and there's certainly a possibility that both campaigns colluded with the Russians. But I, I'm, I think uh, there are some in the conservative circles who think only, you know, Hillary Clinton and, and the Democrats colluded with Russia, and Trump is completely, uh, you know, innocent in this matter. And then there are some conservatives who think, kind of like I do, that maybe it's possible that both of them tried to collude with the Russians. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little lost. So what is evidence that Hillary Clinton colluded with the Russians? No, I'm just saying that the, the possibility that the, the, the Steele dossier uh, is, I'm not saying that oh, she right. did. I'm saying the possibility that, she, that the Clinton campaign colluded with the Russians. I'm not saying that she did. I'm just saying that it's, it's certainly within the realm of possibility. Okay. Uh, I mean, I thought, um, Ashton, that it was a British guy who came up with that dossier. Well, there's links, uh, potential links. Again, uh, this is all an accusation at this standpoint. So potential links between the DNC and possible uh, Clinton campaign staffers. But we really don't know too much more about that at this time. And I think that that'll ultimately be subject to an investigation of sorts. So uh, I don't think it would be uh, appropriate to comment on that further until we know more of the facts. And and does this move the needle anywhere, or is it going to be a case of, um, you know, uh, conservatives or some conservatives and Trump supporters uh, stick with their guy and um, Democrats uh, are against that guy? Or, um, Siraj, does this uh, – we've seen in the last few weeks uh, Trump being criticized by fellow Republicans, saying that he's demeaning the office. Is, is this going to add to that chorus, or uh, is it just, um, you know, people will stick to their guns wherever those may be? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a good question. I think I think it moves the needle slightly, but, you know, for a lot of conservatives who uh, previously did not back the president but are backing his agenda – I think a lot of them are trying to stay mum on the entire probe on Paul in the indictment on Manafort. 
Um, That's a- because right now you see House Speaker Paul Ryan trying to push forward on tax reform. And, you know, it's actually very interesting with, you know, the whole Jeff Flake, Bob Corker feud that they were having with Trump. It was barely a footnote in the Sunday shows uh, here in Washington. And uh, a lot of people were saying those what was happening was historic. But it must have not been that historic considering the fact that, you know, the indictment uh, from Robert Mueller was coming. And we had, uh, of course, the um, the revelation about Fusion GPS, um, you know, being originally funded by the Washington Free Beacon, that conservative publication. Um, and also the links between the Steele dossier and, and uh, the Clinton campaign and the DNC. So uh, it's it, with this news cycle, uh, you have to have a very good memory about what happens in the span of just one week because so many things have happened that I think conservatives are trying to uh, just keep their feet underneath them because they're, they're, they're just getting swarmed with all different uh, types of revelations, specifically uh, with the, the revelation of this uh, indictment. Okay. And uh, Ashton, uh, again, do you think this moves the needle or not? Yeah. I mean, he made a number of great points, and I'm, I'm inclined to agree with him. So as we've come to learn over time, there's been you know countless – uh, news cycles that appear incredibly damaging to President Trump on the surface. But the reality is he's always going to have his loyalists, and we know that. Uh, people have been given ample evidence at this point, I think, to change their minds if they haven't already. What's deeply concerning, I think, is the damage that this does to the Republic- Republican agenda overall. Uh, whenever you have a West Wing that is consumed uh, with scandal after scandal and communications challenges, it takes all of the oxygen out of the room. And I think uh, just going back to sort of how that places Canada in all of this, it makes it very difficult to get uh, to smaller items that actually go towards governing countries uh, when you're solely consumed with scandal all of the time. Okay, um, guys, please hang on. We have to take a quick break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation and uh, take some of your calls. And I also want to get more into uh, the impact on Canada and what's going on or not going on with these NAFTA negotiations. Numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And we will be back after this. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, We are talking about the first of the indictments in uh, special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation into Russian election interference. Uh, Just to recap, three people have been charged. It's the former Trump campaign chairman, Paul Manafort, his associate, Rick Gates, and a former White House policy advisor named George Papadopoulos. I am on the line with Siraj Hashmi from the Washington Examiner and Ashton Arsenault, a consultant at Crestview Strategies. Uh, First, let's uh, take a call from Bill in Toronto. Hi, Bill. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I'm a heavy consumer of Fox News. Okay. (laughs) All right. You know, there's some fake news here, and I don't know where it is. Maybe it's Fox, but even listening to your panel, I'm hearing a whole different story from what I'm getting from down there. Well, are you doubting that this happened? Well, Paul Manafort has uh, relations with Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton far more than he ever had with Trump. 
I'm not familiar with that. Um, well, so because he works, he works at a Podesta group at one point in time, and John Podesta was Hillary Clinton's campaign chairman during the 2016 election, and also uh, uh, Bill Clinton's chief of staff when he was in the White House. So, yeah, there so, is that connection. But again, Paul Manafort worked for Trump for three to four months before he was fired because of his connections to a pro-Putin Ukrainian group. Right, but he could be being investigated for uh, uranium one uh, with the Clintons. Who knows? So let, let's. Uh, I mean, like that wasn't that wasn't listed. I think you guys are just too willing to point a finger at Trump. Money laundering. Sorry, uh, for, let uh, oh, let ahead. them answer, Bill. Thanks for your call. Go ahead. I was just saying that you know the, the indictment doesn't mention anything about uranium one. I mean, uranium one was a separate deal, and I don't think I do not think that Paul Manafort had as much to deal with that as he did with uh, lobbying for a pro-Putin Ukrainian group. Yeah, I yeah, mean, I, uh, it, go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's a fair assessment. I, I think we also have to take into account that uh, the vast majority of what was listed this morning through the special counsel is that uh, many of these charges sort of precede uh, his tenure with uh, his very brief tenure with the Trump campaign. So uh, I still think we're a little short on details here. And I think uh, hopefully a lot of that will come out over the coming days as the, as the files open, so to speak. OK, I, I'd like to uh, turn a bit because uh, one of my concerns since since Trump does like to deflect uh, and, you know, I, I feel that, you know, some of the uh, problems with the NAFTA negotiations are par- partly because of that. Um, you know, one of the things, Siraj, I don't know if you would be following this, but uh, there was a big brouhaha on the weekend because our former prime minister waded into this controversy criticizing the current government's negotiations. And when I first saw that, I thought, hmm, that's very uncool. You know, former people who were thrown out of power aren't really supposed to do that. But but um, it turns out he he didn't make a public statement. He he wrote a note to his clients and mm-hmm. that became public. Uh, uh-huh. So, um, again, just from your point of view, Siraj, do you see uh, NAFTA and being tough on trade uh, as a possible way to deflect from uh, the Trump administration's domestic problems? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, uh, I'm just just telling you from covering politics here in Washington, NAFTA has not been at the top of the list in terms of issues he's trying to push forward. I mean, he's still focusing on tax reform, Obamacare repeal and replacement, and um you know, NAFTA, you know, it was brought up in the uh, luncheon he had with Republican senators this past week, you know, the one where he was feuding with Bob Corker and yep. Jeff Flo, um, that he wanted to basically get out of NAFTA because of uh, what he said. He didn't really get into specifics, but basically was saying that they need to get out so that they can have the concessions that he wants. Again, he did not say what concessions he wants, but a lot of Republicans and conservatives who are pro-free trade are worried about the amount of jobs and the amount of money that, are be, that will be lost if they, he cancels this deal. Of course, it would be like a six-month waiting period before the United States could actually exit NAFTA. Um, but it's one of those things where uh, I think he's trying to really hone in on his base who are against these free trade agreements um, to try to – I wouldn't say circle the wagons, but more so um, reemphasize his support 
and that's where like he usually comes out strongest is when he uh, caters to his base. Mm-hmm. Ashton? Well, in terms of whether or not he could use NAFTA as deflection, I think a, a great point was made in that we need to keep in mind NAFTA isn't receiving nearly the amount of media coverage and scrutiny as it is in Canada. In fact, it isn't even close. Every single piece of NAFTA news is a top headline in Canada, and that just hasn't been the case in the United States. Um, what we do know, uh, and you touched on it, is that NAFTA negotiations aren't going particularly well. The U.S. has made a few demands which have uh, been non-starters for the Canadian and Mexican negotiating teams. And at the same time, the t- Canadian team is insistent on negotiating on items that the U.S. is assigning very little importance to. And I'll just bring up uh, two, that being environmental and indigenous items. Uh, the U.S., for better or worse, has been very clear throughout the negotiations, and that's if the United States doesn't get what it perceives to be a better deal than they had entering the negotiations, then President Trump will blow up the deal. And that's what Prime Minister uh, Stephen Harper's memo was referring to to his clients. He doesn't see this as a bluff at all. He sees this as a very legitimate concern, and uh, I think that analysis is correct. Well, I, I think um, it seems to me that the Trudeau government backed off their initial analysis that this was a bluff. I, I think they've been saying, hey, um, this might not work out at all. And uh, I guess there's a point where the deal is not worth taking for us. I mean, for instance, the Americans want to get rid of the dispute resolution mechanism. Right. Look, I think one of the things that can save the deal at this point is American uh, domestic politics, quite frankly. Uh, there was a fantastic anecdote report in the uh, Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago, which said that Agri-tary, uh, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue and Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross gave Trump a map, uh, which essentially noted that farm and border states that heavily backed Trump in the last year's election uh, would lose jobs if the U.S. ended NAFTA. And I'm inclined to think that is correct as well. And if there's one thing we all know, it's that Trump hates losing. So uh, hopefully possible electoral consequences will lead to the U.S. negotiating teams taking less of a hard line. And hopefully we get a sense of that following the next round of talks from November 17th to the 21st in Mexico. And and what would it take to get that kind of top of mind or into the news cycle, Siraj? Uh, you know, it would take a lot of part on Trump to actually start tweeting about it because he seems to be driving the news cycle with every tweet that he posts. Um, and that's just a fact. I mean, he's every, the news uh, folk has a hyper-focus on Trump's tweets, and um, it would take probably by at least next week for this whole, you know, for this Manafort indictment to, like, kind of simmer down a little bit before he can start tweeting about something else. And if NAFTA is at the top of his list there, uh, then you know, it will drive the conversation. I mean, just in the past week, you know, they talked about him uh, issuing a national emergency on the opioid epidemic, and that was leading all the news, uh, um, all the news channels for at least a day to a day and a half um, before it finally subsided to talking about the the Russia probe. What what do you think the chances are that that Congress would not allow him to kill NAFTA? What are the chances? I think the chances are very high. I don't think Congress wants to back out of this because the establishment, uh, establishment Republicans and establishment Democrats, both agree on free trade. I mean, you only had people like Bernie Sanders, yeah. very far to the left of the Democratic Party, um, and again, he's not even a Democrat. He just caucuses with them. Um, he's pretty much an independent. But um, uh, Congress would definitely not back this move to get out of NAFTA because. Uh, their constituents rely, you know, they're most of, pretty much at the forefront of every uh, member of Congress's mind is 
ensuring that their uh, constituents are employed. The unemployment rate is low. Uh, and by killing NAFTA, you would see a lot of southern and northern states um, have their uh, economies start to, to go down the tubes. And um, that means they will probably be voted out of office if something like this happens out of, on their watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, do, I do agree that Congress will intervene if the NAFTA negotiations go sour. The question is whether the moderates in both the Democratic and Republican camps can come together and work together on this file. Uh, It's awfully divisive now in Washington, and uh, hopefully uh, if it were to come into their court, uh, they would be able to negotiate something uh, to the – to the betterment of uh, both the U.S., Canada, and Mexico, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, I think, in spite of the partisan, the, the you know, the tribalism and the hyperpolarization, uh, you know, there have been Democrats and Republicans who have come together to try to uh, pass legislation. I mean, j- just in the last month or two, Kamala Harris, a Democrat, and Rand Paul, Republican, two very opposite ends of the spectrum, came together to try to and co-sponsor the bill on criminal justice reform. So. If there's an issue that they're uh, both Democrats or Republicans are very uh, passionate about either saving or reforming, uh, probably free trade uh, would be one of them. Well, that's uh, comforting to know. Uh, we have to wrap things up. Uh, so, Siraj, what would you leave us with first? Uh, I leave you with, obviously, this indictment does not mean that Paul Manafort and his associate uh, are, are guilty. Uh, Papadopoulos did plead guilty, so he is definitely guilty. Uh, but just <laughs> let the don't jump to conclusions. Just let the facts come out as they will on, the, on this investigation, because there are a lot of moving parts, and it's very easy to get tripped up uh, by false reporting and fake news. Okay, and Ashton, uh, I would just say uh, we saw one shoe drop today. Uh, I don't know if there's going to be additional. I wouldn't be surprised if there were. Uh, If I was offering advice to the Canadian government, I would say uh, negotiate this pool uh, very carefully and uh, try to shift the conversation back to items that uh, matter most. Okay. Sounds like pretty good advice. That is all the time we have. Thank you both, Siraj Hashmi and Ashton Arsenault. And uh, that's it for Fight Back for today. And we now break for Traffic and News. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads. Idea City on the air and The Garden Show.